Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for Alex in Wonderland. And we thought we should dive into the concept of personality for this episode, which is relevant for several reasons. Obviously, we had the sort of NPCs or non-player characters within that virtual reality who put on the personality of characters that we know based on Alex's idea of them. And then obviously we had a lot of Alex content and we saw her behaving differently than she usually does. And we're going to dive into the whys regarding that. And we also saw her take on the identity of Supergirl. Mm. But first, we should take a look at personality theories that we'll be using to examine Alex's character in this episode. And these are different perspectives, basically, on how to understand who people are and why they are the way that they are and their personality. And you may remember that last week we discussed the psychoanalytic perspective through Freud and Jung. And we talked a lot about the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And the psychoanalytic perspective relies a lot on childhood experiences, which is important to remember when you think about those theories. One of the other alternative ways of looking at personality is by using what's sort of referred to as the trait perspective, which is a little bit more quantitative. It's a perspective that deals with breaking down personality into measurable elements or characteristics that we can then examine across a whole population of people and make comparisons. It started out based on Carl Jung's research into personality and the different personality types that he came up with, Hmm. but it was modified throughout the 20th century into a few different tests that you'll definitely see free online versions of. We've previously talked about the characteristics in the five factor model, which is five personality traits that remain relatively stable over the course of a person's life. Mm -hmm. There's a few other different ones. The most popular one that you'll see a lot is abbreviated as MBTI, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. That one specifically is rooted in Jung's original research, and it takes a similar idea that you have a set of 16 personality types that people tend to fall into based on they interact with the world and how they understand themselves. So the way that in the Myers-Briggs approach you figure out a personality is through looking at a set of functions is the term that they use. And there are four of these, sensing and intuiting, which are used to gather information, and then thinking and feeling, which process that information and are used to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So those four functions each can have different orientations. They can be introverted, looking inward at yourself, or they can be extroverted directed outward at your interactions with the world and the other people in it. Mm -hmm. Everybody has one function and an orientation that you prefer or that you use the most when processing information and social interactions. But everyone does still use all of the functions, but with varying degrees of skill. Yeah. And then the order in which you have a preference for each one determines how you'll use them and what they look like when they express themselves in a personality. So Alex's type, and we can put a link to the description of the personality type for people to look at, is ISFJ, which means that her strongest function, number one, is introverted, which should be fairly obvious by the fact that 
that Alex tends to keep to herself when she's not forced to be out and about with people, (laughs) but also that her strongest function is sensing, but directed inward. And so what that means and how that manifests in a person when introverted sensing is your strongest function is that you will use memories of the past to guide your decisions about how to act in the present or the future and how to make decisions about things. And so you'll look at things that were effective in terms of behaviors or like stuff that you learned. You'll also fall back on things that were comforting to you previously and you'll seek them out and repeat that instead of trying new stuff. Yeah, which we know to be true for Alex. (laughs) Which we saw a lot of in this episode. Um, And then so every person has an introverted function that's their strongest thing and then an extroverted function that they're strongest in because that's how they then interface with everybody around them. Mm -hmm. And so Alex's second strongest function, the one that she uses when she's social is extroverted feeling, which should also come as no real surprise, <laughs> yes. um, especially since one of the big words that came up in this episode was feelings. Um, <laughs> yes. And we've talked about this before with Alex, actually, in terms of how she makes decisions, because that's one of the kind of functions that this one is feeling based on how other people feel. So there's that extroverted word coming in as opposed to how she feels. And she may have less of a grasp of that. We'll talk a lot about that in this episode. Mm, Yeah. The other thing that's important here is that even though Alex is a very science-minded person, even though she can be a very logical person, feeling is definitely the function that she uses to make her decisions most of the time when she's interacting with people, which is very, very clear because an introvert who directs their feelings externally in this way will repeatedly act in ways that will satisfy the needs and wants of the people around them. Yeah. And you'll also see because her dominant function is sensory, but internally directed at herself and like her own experiences, you will see sometimes her emotion-based decisions are driven by her reliance on her past experiences. It happens a lot in terms of how she reacts under stress specifically. Mm. And it will also sometimes cloud her judgment about how to proceed in a situation. And she'll want to do like something that they've already tried or she'll want to trust a person because she's trusted them before, whereas her sister will sometimes be like, hey, maybe we should try this not that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So her other two functions are introverted thinking and then extroverted intuition, which are not as relevant for this episode. So we'll mostly be focusing on those top two preferred strong functions that Alex likes and then the inverse of it for feeling. Although the AI within the virtual reality actually does prey upon her introverted thinking Hmm. in order to get her to buy into it because it presents all these logical facts based on her previous life experiences to convince her that what she's seeing is real. Hmm. And she trusts it because it matches stuff that she's already gone through. Yeah, And then extroverted intuition is really funny because if it's well-developed, it means that you'll be able to feel comfortable with ambiguity and new experiences. (laughs) But if it's not well developed, you'll have a high mistrust of those things and really not like them. Mm. And that is very much Alex. Yeah. (laughs) Um, She's not as uh, practiced in that area. No. And it causes trouble for her. So that is a sort of trait perspective. And we'll talk a lot about Myers-Briggs type indicator and extroverted feeling in this episode with regard to Alex. But another psychological perspective on personality we should take a look at is the social cognitive perspective. And the focus of that is 
basically the interaction between our traits, tying in that cognitive word there, and the social context. Yeah. And so the social cognitive perspective has its roots in behaviorism, which is an older psychological model that says that we can only study that which we can see, which is the action that people take and the consequences that come from their behavior. Mm -hmm. Social cognitive theory of personality builds on that by examining how children in particular learn via observing adults and peers and then mimicking that behavior and then considering how that social interaction affects them. Yeah. But sort of the difference between the behaviorism perspective and the social cognitive perspective is that it also includes consideration of mental processes in, for instance, learning versus action. And Alfred Bandura, sort of the father, I suppose, of this social cognitive perspective, came up with the idea of reciprocal determinism. So reciprocal meaning like back and forth, you give and receive, and then determinism meaning like what determines something. So the idea here is that we are both the creators and the products of the situations we surround ourselves with, which connects to this idea of locus of control, which Julian Rotter came up with based on this idea of reciprocal determinism. And we've talked about locus of control before in the podcast, and we have some updates <laughs> with regard to that and Alex that we'll discuss. But locus of control is basically whether or not you personally feel that you have control over the events in your life and have control of other further external situations, or if the external world controls your life. Who has the control? Is it you or is it the outside world or just fate or whatever? Well, that virtual reality would certainly like to <laughs> control. not let you have control. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and our last approach to personality we're going to take a look at is the humanistic perspective. And the foundation of this perspective is that people are self-motivated to improve, that they seek this term self-actualization, which basically means like you want to become the most complete whole version of yourself. Yeah. If it sounds a little bit like a hippie take on <laughs> psychology, it is because it did emerge in the 1960s. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that a lot of people are familiar with that comes from the humanistic perspective of psychology is Abram Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah. in which self-actualization is at the top of this pyramid. And the idea is that we all have multiple levels of needs and the ones at the bottom of the pyramid are the most important to take care of. And if we have not been able to meet those needs, we won't be able to rise to the higher ones on the pyramid. So mm -hmm. the foundational stuff at the bottom is like food, shelter, safety. And the ones at the top are things that are more like having a sense of esteem, pride in your accomplishments, getting prestige for the things that you've done. And then self-actualization at the top is maximizing your individual potential, fulfilling your creative needs, all of this stuff that you really you need free time and mental energy and space to take care of. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting about the hierarchy of needs with regard to Alex in this episode is that this idea of esteem, of self-esteem specifically for Alex, it requires a foundation of love, it requires that sort of external encouragement and assertion that you are okay as a person. And Carl Rogers, another humanistic psychologist, came up with the idea of the actual self versus the ideal self, which is definitely something we see come into play in this episode. It's like that expectation versus reality meme. <laughs> it is. It's literally that. <laughs> and there's this idea of conditional positive regard 
and conditional meaning like uh, depends on something else. So you get positive regard, you get positive feedback if you do certain things. And the fact that it isn't unconditional positive regard makes a person create an ideal self, which is basically the version of yourself that does all the things that makes people want to give you that positive regard. And that ideal self is something that we all want to reach. And the closer the real self is to the ideal self, the happier we are about ourselves, the better self-esteem we have. So we're going to take all of these different angles or perspectives on the concept of personality to understand Alex's decision making and her internal feelings in this episode. <laughs> and this is also with the understanding that no one theory covers everything on its own, which is not necessarily how the theorists themselves saw it, but <laughs> they're useful tools for understanding. But generally speaking, in the present, if you are assessing a person whether it's a fictional character, whether it's a real person, you would borrow bits and pieces from a lot of these different approaches mm -hmm. in making determinations about how to best help that person or best understand them. Yeah. So let's take a look at Alex's decision making in this episode. It was different in some ways <laughs> from what we might expect of her in a normal day. Mm. Yes. She decides to become Supergirl for a time in the virtual reality. Well, it's also important to note the emotional state she's in before she makes this decision because number one, she's like upset. Number two, she's angry. And number three, she's kind of drunk. Mm, that's also fair. <laughs> and none of those lead to good decision making. No, they don't. But let's examine these decisions. Yes. <laughs> One thing that plays into it is that idea of the ideal self. And this ideal self is kind of, as we'll see, the ultimate protector. And one of the reasons that Alex created this ideal self of the ultimate protector is that she began receiving way more negative feedback from her parents after Kara landed because of this new overly burdensome responsibility that she received taking care of Kara. And keeping her secret. And keeping her secret. And, and so the positive regard from both Eliza and Jeremiah became increasingly conditional. But this was not as much the case for Kara, which Alex expressed her feelings about in this episode. She said, with regard to Jeremiah, he treated you like you were some golden girl, but he treated me like I wasn't even worth his time, which is definitely a very subjective interpretation of the events. But it does reflect the fact that Eliza and Jeremiah's parenting styles differed for each of their daughters. Hmm. Because for Kara, she had just experienced this massive trauma. And Eliza expressed before that she didn't know how to do anything but give her unconditional positive regard, whereas she was parenting Alex more critically. Mm. So Alex formed an ideal self that would be basically able to protect her family all of the time. And we found out in this episode that Jeremiah not only wanted Alex to protect Kara, but also wanted Alex to protect Eliza in a way and take care of her. So Alex formed this ideal self who would essentially be worthy of positive regard in her view. And then we see her all the time struggle with her actual self not aligning with this ideal self when like car is in trouble or her family's in danger and it causes her a lot of stress yeah <laughs> yeah and speaking of other things that cause alex stress we have this concept of the locus of control and for alex she has an external leaning locus of control which means that she doesn't think that she has control over a lot of things in her life and our understanding of this has actually been updated since the last time we discussed Alex and her locus of control to be more external leaning and take into account that 
that while she has this external locus of control and she doesn't feel like she actually has the power to control things, she still feels like she has to. <laughs> yeah. And that's where a lot of the stress comes from. <laughs> yes. And like her ideal self can do those things. Yes. Which we saw abundantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And something that affects her relationship with her locus of control is the fact that those around her expect certain things of her, like protecting their family. And some of them also see the world a certain way, namely Kara and her very internal locus of control and how she thinks that she can affect the entire world and kind of expects the people around her to act that same way. And Alex makes decisions based on how others feel, as we've talked about, that function and trait in her personality. And she does that before what she feels. So Alex's ideal self is based in others' expectations, as opposed to her own worldview. She would prefer to act as if she does not have control over everything. And we see sort of a conflict of those feelings in Alex in this episode when she talks about how Jeremiah treated her. She says that he kind of treated me like I was an equal. And she says that she thought it was really cool that he would give her that kind of responsibility. And those are kind of like nice extroverted feeling feelings to have. So basically, she, as someone who values the feelings of other people, would understandably feel great about having that kind of responsibility and the ability to protect others and then get positive feedback based on that. But we see her kind of reflect on her own belief system. And this was that same conversation with Bonnie in the virtual reality. She continued on to say, and I look back at it now, and I just think it's totally unfair that he put all of that on me. And that's possibly one of the healthiest things I've ever heard Alex say about herself. <laughs> yeah. It's neat because going back to our episode that we did focusing on boundaries, like that's an important boundary to have in parent-child situations, particularly with teenagers mm. and recognizing that they're not adults and you should not be giving them the burdens of adults. Yeah. But then tying into that sort of personality trait that she has of having an external locus of control, she doesn't think that she would be able to control everything. So, of course, it's unfair to ask that of her. Well, and especially when the thing that she's trying to control is Kara. <laughs> I think feeling like she has to control an unstoppable force is really the source <laughs> of her stress. Like, I mean, like, literally her whole fantasy is like Kara can do anything and she's got to try to rein that in like <laughs> think about the time that they fought when Kara was in her self-quarantine and Alex was freaking out because she was like if you don't listen to me you'll die and I can't make you behave <laughs> like, oh god <laughs> that's accurate and we also see in this episode tied into this idea of the locus of control and whether or not you can affect change in the world essentially or change in your life Alex's like self-concept, the way that she sees herself, includes feeling less hopeful than, say, Kara, the paragon of hope. That's a recurring thing with Alex, where she's like, I'm not that hopeful. Because she's judging herself against, like, you know, Kara. <laughs> yeah. But it also ties into the idea that, like, she doesn't really think that she has the ability to control things. So then we see that when she actually did hope regarding Jeremiah and his redemption and the idea that he will come back into their lives, but then he dies she's resentful. And I think she's a little bit resentful like at the universe for putting her in a position where she felt that feeling and then was let down and was kind of vulnerable and then was crushed. 
Yeah. And perhaps a little bit resentful at Kara, who is, you know, the paragon of hope and kind of always pushing that you can control things and we'll make it fine for us. We'll get them back and stuff like that. And she talks about in this episode, she says, I'm the one who held out hope for him, Jeremiah. I'm the one that said he was good and that Cadmus was forcing him to kill people. And there's also some interesting stuff going on there with how she was hopeful in that regard and then Kara wasn't. Yeah. But then, of course, because Alex was the one who was hoping it didn't work out. But then it's interesting because the virtual reality other version of Alex, her teen self, expresses that they became Supergirl because she stands for hope. And she sees this like DEO slash Supergirl advertisement on TV and Car is like, hope, help and compassion for all. And then Alex decides to go in the VR and take on this persona. The other thing that's interesting about that ad in terms of thinking about Alex's state of mind when she decides that she's going to grab those contact lenses is that you also hear Lex's voice making some comment about like trusting us with your safety or something Mm. along those lines. And you have the emphasis on the fact that it's the DEO and Alex is already in a place where she is frustrated about the fact that he essentially took that from her and there was nothing she could do about it Mm -hmm. and feeling like that's part of why she's stuck the way she is right now in addition to feeling the lack of control over what happened with her dad. Hmm. Which is interesting, like after their conversation and the fight that they had, it's kind of like stuff that she'll see that makes her resentful. So let's explore why she would want to become this version of Supergirl, despite the fact that she's feeling kind of resentful when she sees that advertisement and has a lot of other complicated feelings happening with regard to Kara. Basically, we see that once Alex enters the virtual reality, the rules change for her. And this reflects the fact that, you know, Alex believes that the rules are different for Kara and always have been, and for Supergirl specifically also. Not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that on some level, Alex believes that if she were Kara, somehow Jeremiah would have come home. Which is interesting because I agree with you, but on the other hand... Alex has the evidence in front of her that Kara's right there, and that wasn't enough either. Mm, Yeah. It's not a rational feeling that Alex has, but I do think it plays (laughs) into why she makes this decision. Oh, no, it definitely does. (laughs) (laughs) I also think related to this is something you mentioned, which is maybe Alex thinks she would be a better Supergirl or Mm -hmm. more effective (laughs) in some ways. Like if she were Kara, somehow she would have made Jeremiah come home. Yeah. Possibly related to like external locus of control and how much more control Kara has. But let's dive into the reasons that Alex thinks that if she were Kara, Jeremiah would have come home somehow. First is the fear that Alex's parents love Kara more because they gave Kara more unconditional positive regard to compensate for her loss, as we've talked about. Which, as we already know, is irrational, Mm -hmm. at least as far as we've seen with Eliza, because she and Alex already had that whole thing out (laughs) Yes, in season one. But we also see that within this virtual world, Alex gets that positive regard from the NPCs around her, which are essentially constructions in her own mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. But you see everybody cheering every time she does anything. 
the newscasters are asking her to talk to them and are telling her that she's great. And she perceives those as valuable in some part because Kara gets them because Supergirl's a public figure, but Alex works for a clandestine organization. Her job is a secret. The fact that she does it is a secret. She never gets the recognition for what she does. And that's an extension of her feeling like she doesn't get recognition for what she does with her family either. Yeah. And that's something we saw come to a head in season one when Kara was being like praised for becoming Supergirl and Alex was doing the same thing as a DEO agent and Eliza didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, for, for reasons that made sense when we yeah. knew them, when <laughs> she learned them. But well, and we also saw it again in season two when Kara was ready to go leave and go to Metropolis and Alex was like, uh, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The other part where we see Alex receiving this positive regard for taking on the Supergirl identity is when she meets Bonnie, a.k.a. Tilly. That's her avatar. She mentions that her sister in real life is like Supergirl's number one fan. Mm -hmm. And Tilly says this after she kind of looks at Supergirl Alex with hard eyes. Yeah. (laughs) And Alex is a little bit thrown off by this Mm -hmm. and getting that kind of like fan attention yeah partly because she there's a little part of her that's like well it's not possible because i am her number one fan (laughs) and and also a little bit because alex went into the vr specifically after seeing that ad with car's face on it as supergirl and she's trying to get away from that (laughs) And, and so like being reminded of it immediately is not Mm. quite what she was expecting to have happen. Yeah. But it's also interesting because it's like she's in the position with a real person a little bit that Kara is usually in. She's kind of on the receiving end of that positive attention. Yeah. Well, positive attention, but in a way that for Alex as an introvert would feel intrusive, Mm. whereas Kara gets energized from that because Kara is an extrovert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, no, but you do see that actually at multiple points within the VR. Everybody looks to Alex expecting her to behave like Kara and she's like, oh, (laughs) that's not me. (laughs) But she does have this really funny little moment after she saves the guitar man from the falling stuff with the dragon. Yeah. And she gets this little rush from doing it and she kind of giggles and it's like, huh, that was so cool. (laughs) Very much like Kara did a lot in the early episodes of season Mm -hmm. one. But then she catches herself and she's like, oh, I have to play it cool. Yeah. Which is partly, that's Alex, but also (laughs) it's because she is so much more conscious of what people should expect from her Mm -hmm. and that she will alter her behavior like that when she thinks there's an audience. Yeah. Another interesting thing with regard to like getting that positive regard is when the bartender tells Alex, if it isn't my favorite customer, and then proceeds to tell everyone else that. (laughs) But it is interesting to see her encounter a situation right after her fight with Kara about Kara being who Alex thinks is her parents' favorite. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Then being in the situation where she's the favorite, but she's not really (laughs) an interesting sort of inversion there. Yes. And this other sort of attractive aspect of being Supergirl for Alex and how the rules are different for her is basically Supergirl's ability to move the earth. Like literally. Literally and metaphorically (laughs) when she wants to. And Alex talked about how she wanted to become Supergirl because I could fly around and I could knock things down without anybody being able to stop me, which is something that she sees Supergirl do. (laughs) But then we also see her take that ability to move the earth and use it to fix problems in the virtual reality. She's like, I'm just glad that I could help, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Which is building on what we saw with her last week where she got satisfaction out of that sense of being able to control things and help people and save them, essentially. Because she's faced with a bunch of, like, intangible, long-term problems that she, as Alex Danvers, has no way of just fixing. But she can go to this place and, in this role of Supergirl, just solve problems in a satisfying way, especially because it's helping others, which is something Alex likes to do. (laughs) And then with regard to Supergirl being able to move the Earth we also see Alex try to change another person <laughs> that, or have the instinct to do so in a way that we don't always see with Alex because she has that external locus of control, doesn't think that she can just change people's minds mm. the way that Kara thinks that she can change people's minds. But we see her talk to who we'll find out is herself, <laughs> herself, <laughs> yeah, a teenage Alex in the VR. And she says, there's still time for you to turn your life around, young lady. Which is kind of hilarious, but... (laughs) And then we also see Alex as Supergirl say, I don't need anyone to save me because I'm Supergirl, which was interesting. Yeah, it was a very interesting moment, particularly following on the heels of last week when Alex went into the virtual world and encountered a traumatic experience that she went through several seasons ago where she nearly drowned and despite her best efforts could not save herself. And then she got that satisfaction of being able to save someone else who was in that exact predicament. Mm -hmm. And here she's seeking out that feeling again. But being Supergirl is the ultimate way to have that control because Supergirl is who she needed to save her from that situation. And in that same scene where she talked about not needing anyone to save her because she's Supergirl when she was with the fake VR version of Henshaw, she also says to him, you will never hurt my family again, which is also interesting in terms of Supergirl's ability to control things. It is. I mean, it's a statement that real Alex has made specifically in season one when she took Max to lock him up forever. Mm. And then people took that power out of her hands. (laughs) Um, it's also something Kara has expressed to Nan in season one Mm, yeah with regards to all of Earth (laughs) yeah but it's a neat moment for Alex because of the things that she expresses in a very genuine moment of kind of thinking aloud with Bonnie slash Tilly (laughs) in the bar when she first arrives and is still kind of cognizant of herself and what's going on with the people in her life and then her like final boss mission in her (laughs) experience as Supergirl, if you will, is that Henshaw, who is a complete cartoon of Henshaw because Alex never actually met him in real life, um, (laughs) but he kidnaps Kara, which is exactly what her dad always said would happen Mm. if Alex ever slipped up. Yeah. But Alex gets to save her. And the other thing about it is not only does Henshaw say he's kidnapped Kara, he's going to kill Kara. He also says he's going to blow up the DEO and everything else that Alex loves. And that is very telling of how Alex feels about what's going on in her own life Mm. in a lot of respects. Because the VR, the AI within it is pulling from Alex's unconscious fears and thoughts. And she kind of feels like those things have been blown up out of her life right now. Like she's desperately missing the DEO and the the fulfillment it was giving her. She's constantly worried that something's going to happen to Kara. Yeah. And so her moment of being able to come back at his threat of no one's going to be able to save them and you're going to die too is actually I can. And it's a nice 
victory for Alex in that moment, given that the last things that she said to Jean and Kara in reality were that she was done with protecting everyone and she was tired of it. Hmm. But we can see she didn't mean it. We know she doesn't mean it. No. And that's not what she wants for herself. Because she is so oriented on other people's feelings, she gets a lot of meaning out of that. Yeah, she does. And when Alex is reflecting upon the things that she said that turned out to be not quite truthful, such as giving up on protecting her family in her conversation with Kelly, she says, the reality is that I was just mad at myself because I couldn't save him. And that's kind of how that feeling got translated. Mm. And we get the sense that through the ways that Alex uses this role of Supergirl to cope with the things that have happened, that she thinks that either she should have gotten Jeremiah to come home himself, like to get him to make that choice by being her ideal self in order to make him want to. Or she should have been able to find him and force him to come home, like with the great power that Supergirl would have. And related to this idea of extroverted feeling, we see Alex go from what you talked about of her like putting on a front that she doesn't really want to protect her family anymore and to then having more of a genuine understanding of her own feelings and and putting more value in them and that understanding part is interesting because extroverted feelers often struggle to recognize and then also prioritize their own feelings or to have like an unshakable sense of their own values but alex does definitely have like internal constants, if you will, specifically that you take care of your loved ones, which is definitely tied into that extroverted feeling function. And that's why she and Kara fought actually in season two with regard to Jeremiah, because Alex thinks you're there for your loved ones. So therefore, like if you aren't there for your family, you don't actually love them. <laughs> which also going back to some of the other psychological concepts connects to that idea of the conditional positive regard. Yeah, so that was a whole thing. You earn their love by showing that you're there for them. <laughs> yes, which was a probably concerning message in terms of Kara's point of view at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but Alex feels right now that like Jeremiah never came home and he wasn't there for me and didn't protect me. So he doesn't love me. And that was also a big struggle, that idea of like, if you're not there for me, you don't love me. Car in season two and like mm. running away to be super with Clark. But it's interesting now with the situation between Alex, Kara, and then Jeremiah, because we've seen the tables turn here in comparison to their fight in season two regarding Jeremiah. Mm. And Alex now isn't going to Jeremiah's funeral. She's not being there for her family. And she has now lost faith in him. Yeah. And Kara's a little blown away by this yeah. because she's like, you yelled at me <laughs> and told me I didn't love you <laughs> Yeah, for suggesting that not all was as it seemed and now you're not going to the funeral. Yeah. Like, she's like, why did I put up with that? <laughs> like, you're at Alex Danvers? What are you? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but you see her actually attempting to apply Alex's logic knowing that Alex is being irrational in that opening scene of them arguing with each other mm -hmm. unsuccessfully, because I think as we've talked about before, when Kara tries to mimic Alex to deal with Alex, it never works. <laughs> um. <laughs> 
And that's interesting with regard to, like, I guess, switching perspectives. Mm. <laughs> because Alex, at the beginning of the episode, is playing that sort of role of, like, I don't have hope in Jeremiah. The way that Kara was disbelieving and suspicious of his activities in season two. Because in season two, there's a lot of conflict between Alex, Kara, and Jean about Alex's actions in the pursuit of protecting Jeremiah and bringing him back mm. and making decisions based on those feelings. Because in this episode, in the virtual reality, the fake version of Jean, created by Alex's subconscious, says to Alex, I know your history with Henshaw. Promise me you won't let feelings cloud your judgment as we bring him to justice. And when I brought this up, you actually mentioned her questionable decisions regarding justice in season two. Yeah, because that period when Jeremiah came back was the incident in which Alex actively tortured someone mm. to the point that Jean flat out told her she could not participate anymore. And Kara agreed with him and she was really offended by that. Yeah. Now we see Alex as Supergirl making sort of the opposite decision. Yeah. She handcuffs him. Yeah. Which was a very like jarring like Alex thing while she's being Supergirl. Yeah, it was. It was a very nice fusion mm. of the two. The other big difference in terms of saying like the tables have turned a little bit in terms of Alex and Kara's roles within their family dynamic mm. is in seeing Kara go from hanging back when Alex and Eliza find out Jeremiah is still alive in season two mm. and really feeling like she's not fully part of that to very much taking ownership over her role in their family in that scene at the beginning of the episode where she senses that Alex is kind of done. She's like, okay, so I'm going to have to cover for you, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to tell Eliza? And Alex claims she doesn't care. And Kara's like, so I'm going to just leave our mother hanging. And she's never said that before in that way. Like, I had like a Kevin Smith moment <laughs> when I watched that scene. I definitely rewatched that part more than once. And just the delivery of it was so good because Kara's clearly pushing Alex's buttons to get her to acknowledge that she does care. And she gives her this very skeptical, you don't care what I tell our grieving mother, mm. like knowing full well, Alex absolutely does. <laughs> um, but she's upset. Kara's got tears in her eyes and it was wonderfully done on an emotional level. But it also is a huge acknowledgement of the growth that Kara has made in terms of embracing herself as Kara Danvers. Mm. Because in all of the previous conversations that we've seen Kara and Alex have, she's kept that distance a little bit in there of not saying like, this is our mom. Yeah. It's Alex's mom. But she's done with that. The last time we saw her kind of making a shift was in season four when she was talking to Nia and she's like, oh, my mom knows blah, blah, blah. But that was just a really cool, very subtle word choice, especially given the fact that she doesn't consider Jeremiah a father mm. to her. Yeah. And Carr's offense at Alex deciding not to go to the funeral and not support their mother who is grieving was interesting in terms of her character and the decision she made in season one when Astra died, mm. right around the time that she had her Black Mercy episode, which is fairly yes. similar. How apt. Yes. <laughs> and 
Astro was a season one villain and there was a lot of like uncomfortable family stuff yeah. involved in that. And Astro's final act before the battle in which she died was an act of terrorism. And Kara still honored her and went to her funeral and read the Kryptonian rites despite all of that, which is tied, I think, to Kara's broad value system and her Kryptonian religion and probably also the trauma that she experienced in losing her entire planet. Because honoring the dead means something more. And as much as Alex is usually the one who is like most concerned with their inner circle in terms of making sure everyone is okay, and this seems like an inner circle problem, and it is obviously with regard to Kara being protective of Eliza in a way we haven't seen before. But it's also interesting because it ties into Kara's like more broad value system that isn't rooted in just her family members. So there were a lot of interesting dynamics in that first scene. But to go back to Alex's struggles with her own feelings and emotions and this front that she puts on, kind of acting like she is more of an unhealthy, introverted feeler, there is this progression for her with regard to having a more genuine, introverted feeling experience. So to go back to the idea of extroverted feelers sometimes struggling with understanding their own feelings and value system and such. We see Alex kind of act like she does have a really solid understanding of her own feelings and specifically that she knows them better than other people do. She says to Kara, stop telling me how I feel. And she says to Kelly, I can't tolerate being psychoanalyzed by my girlfriend right now. And then we also, in terms of Alex's struggle to prioritize her own feelings, see her lashing out but in reality, it is hiding self-blame and is an external manifestation of this more internal battle of her feeling of like, it's my fault he died, which is kind of like an unhealthy, extroverted feeling burden that she feels versus her other feeling that that pressure and blame isn't really fair. But Alex comes to this sort of slow genuine understanding of her own feelings. And we see it manifest a bit when she has space to think and talk it out with actually a stranger. And then we also see it when she directly hears her feelings through this other version of herself, this teen Alex, and how she refutes the idea that if she was Kara, Jeremiah would have come home. And she says, we're not Supergirl. And even if we were, nothing that we could have done would have saved him. And this is an interesting sort of like extroverted feeling work around processing your own feelings and like taking them in as if they were someone else's feelings. Yeah. And that's actually a strategy that's really effective with people who maybe aren't ready to recognize like something going on in their own life. Mm. And it's clearly an effective strategy for Alex because true to form, her immediate response when the other NPCs in her reality start threatening the younger version of herself, her immediate instinct is to protect her. Mm. And it is something that she's admitted she never does a good job with in reality when it comes to protecting herself. Yeah. So that was really awesome to see visualized like that, especially for a character who is a natural introvert and therefore we don't always know what's going on <laughs> completely under the surface mm. as far as what she thinks about herself versus her relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's nice to see her kind of 
prioritize her feelings, not in the way that we saw in the beginning of the episode where she's shutting everyone out and saying, I'm not going to protect you anymore, but in a healthier way and protecting yourself from self-blame. Yeah. And the other coolest part about this whole experience is that it's a situation in which Alex is trapped, but she gets to be the hero for real. Mm. She is the person who saves herself. Yeah. She even, like, comforts herself. (laughs) The projection from Alex's mind of herself, the teen Alex, tells the OG Alex (laughs) that it's going to be okay. Which is something she says to Kara all the time. (laughs) Yes. And something that, you know, we'll see sometimes other people express to her. But she doesn't often practice self-compassion in this way. So it was really nice. It was. So now we're going to address kind of the reason this episode was entitled Alex in Wonderland and discuss how Alex kind of falls down this little pit into the virtual reality and eventually climbs her way back out. (laughs) Yes. And throughout this process, we see Alex go from sort of emulating Supergirl to then moving into becoming this fusion of the Supergirl identity and her own identity. Yes. The first little thing, which was just such a very, like, Kara and Alex clearly are siblings <laughs> moment, was her getting into the VR, realizing that she had all of Kara's powers and being like, let's go punch some stuff. <laughs> which we have already heard from Jean is one of her go-to methods for dealing with stress. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. One of the really nice ways that the show supported this evolution with Alex from kind of playing Supergirl to feeling like that's part of her was through the use of the Supergirl theme that we all will recognize because it's been in use since the first season of the show. Hmm. When she lands in the virtual reality in her Supergirl suit for the first time, we hear that main Supergirl theme play. And then once the actual experience starts, we hear it again being played on the guitar by the guy stuck in the virtual reality. (laughs) And then at the very end of Alex's journey within the VR, we hear it again with an instrument that we haven't heard very often in the show, which is there's a little strain of the Supergirl theme that's played on a harpsichord when Alex stops all the NPCs from attacking her and her younger self, Hmm. which was a kind of neat musical representation of the, the different transitions that Alex goes through in the episode. A fun progression. Yeah, it was cool. So some other kind of fun things that happened with regard to Alex losing her sense that it's just a game and also her sense of her actual self (laughs) is that when she first lands in the VR and she's trying to figure out how to work all the superpowers, she's like, okay, what would Kara do? I got to think like Kara, which again, for someone who figures herself out relationally is deeply amusing. But we also see that out in reality, the people who know Alex use her as that kind of guidepost because you have William asking Kelly with regard to Lex's motives, well, what would Alex think or what would she say (laughs) about this? And Alex never really considers herself to be inspirational or a guiding force in that way. So that was a neat juxtaposition there. Yeah. And then the point at which the trouble begins (laughs) is when Alex goes from expressing that things feel so real, like with eating the pancakes or fighting stuff, to saying that this is better than real. Mm. And 
the code built into the virtual reality system is designed to encourage that, which is where the danger in it lies. And I expect is something they'll dig into more in the future. Mm -hmm. But once she kind of says that, it triggers her whole DEO and vanquishing Henshaw adventure. (laughs) (laughs) So first, when we see this whole hero's journey experience that her mind has conjured up for her, Number one, every single person there is a caricature of themselves, in part because they're just exaggerated projections of how Alex understands each of these people. Yeah. And also, they are there as familiar faces to prompt Alex to play along, kind of like how in real life social media apps and stuff – the advertising software will actually pull the faces in the pictures of your friends and then use them to create composites to put in the ads mm. to make you more likely to buy stuff. Cursed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing that we see is the way that Jean was used in this episode was very cool, especially given that it was about Alex's grief over Jeremiah and her issues with that void of not having her father. Because Jean in this imaginary world is completely stepping into that role Mm. in the way that he did for Alex in reality, but she's not troubled or thinking that anything is missing when she has NPC Jean in that role. You see him consoling her in the midst of her fake worry about Kara and warning her not to let her feelings get in the way, which is something that Alex herself would worry about given that she did lose control the last time that she was confronted with stuff related to her dad. But also is like a sneaky way that the VR is manipulating her because it's ultimately her feelings that like get her out. Um, (laughs) Yeah. The other part about it that's funny is that the VR characters check on her emotions, but they keep prompting her to be like, hey, everything feels great, right? (laughs) And that's the thing that throws Alex, which was the most Alex thing (laughs) of all time. She's like, wow, I feel happy. And then she's like, that can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) But it was very similar to last year with the mind wipe. Hmm. Even after it was done and she didn't remember it because it was working right she still knew something was wrong and jean was like she shouldn't know that (laughs) Um, and you see that in this fake universe as soon as she sees another version of supergirl and one that even had the original costume that Kara wore for years that prompts her to be like wait a minute this isn't me this can't be right and yet Mm. apparently unbeknownst in the real world to either kelly or andrea the AI that runs this simulation has a plan for when people figure this out. (laughs) And it literally tricks Alex into thinking that she did wake herself up. And then going back to what we talked about in the episodes with Wynn about machine learning Mm. and different ways that digital neural networks learn, the AI takes what it's already gathered about Alex and her personality and her fears and things that make her happy and it uses that to pull her in even further which is represented really nicely through the costuming choices where we get this time alex starts out in her real clothes but still has the suit Mm. and that supergirl doesn't have the wig doesn't have Kara's hair looks more (laughs) like alex is alex Mm -hmm. and so For that logical part of her brain that's like, well, how do I know what's real? It's messing with that (laughs) Um, a lot. A bit, yeah. (laughs) Which leads to, basically for Alex, a confrontation of the ideal self, the like 
ultimate protector in this version of Alex's life where everyone in her family is ultimately safe and she's able to move the earth. <laughs> and she's also a little bit closer to Alex Danvers. There's a confrontation of that with the real self in a younger version, younger edition. <laughs> and we as viewers know that Alex's family, for the most part, I can't speak for Jeremiah, um, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> loves Alex unconditionally. As much as the positive regard Guard and the external expression of positive feelings can be conditional. We know that the internal love that her family feels doesn't change. Maybe they'll say that they love Alex more when she does nice things, but when they're angry with her or, or saying more negative things to her, they don't stop loving her on the inside. A thing she has historically had a hard time differentiating. Yes, which is why it's good that some characters will explicitly tell Alex in this episode, for instance. Kelly, toward the beginning of the episode, tells Alex when Alex is lashing out at her because Kelly is very emotionally mature. She makes sure to tell her, just know that I love you and I am here for you unconditionally. And then we see the same idea come up again toward the end of the episode when Alex comes out of the virtual reality and says to Kelly, thank you for not giving up on me. And Kelly says, I would never. So following that closure scene with Alex and Kelly, we have a closure family scene where Alex does ultimately attend the memorial service for her dad. And as soon as she's able to sit down, you know, Jean is there supportively squeezing her shoulder. <laughs> but she goes to apologize to Kara and says, you know, I'm sorry for all the things that I said. And Kara's just like, it doesn't matter and hugs her and they both sit there crying, yeah. which was such a nice call back to falling mm. when Kara's crying and saying, you know, I'm so sorry for what I said to you. And Alex says, it doesn't matter. You're my sister and I love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And though we didn't get a lot with Eliza in this episode, we have heard her also have to tell Alex that <laughs> out loud before, specifically in season two. You know, she says, I love you however you are and reinforces that in season three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because Eliza has expressed to Alex before in season one, you have always been my supergirl. Basically saying that Alex has always been to Eliza, the ideal version of herself, tying back into that ideal self that Alex has and tried to become in this episode by becoming supergirl. Mm, yeah. And she's not the only person who's expressed something like that. No. Alex's not dad has told her something very similar. <laughs> uh, like I said earlier about how other characters perceive Alex as someone to look up to. Alex doesn't always see that Kara looks up to her. Mm. And Jean says very deliberately to her that you're Supergirl's hero. And for Alex, who is in the VR, kind of trying to find that ideal self that is a hero, it's like, you don't need to be Supergirl. Supergirl looks up to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on, enjoy that. <laughs> And it's so important, though, to remember that those characters believe that about Alex and she knows that because the moment that she starts to believe in herself within the VR, all the code that's wearing the faces of her loved ones starts to be like, let's kill the Alex. <laughs> and that's a thing they'd never say. Yeah. And we we can see she does know that because – that's where she's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because we see basically Alex in her like ideal self form that doesn't align with reality in several ways. Standing right next to her real self, the 
sort of scary versions of her loved ones that she has in her head that are super critical of her in ways that she imagines or ways that she might fear Mm. in some ways that maybe she even knows aren't really logical at times. They're trying to destroy the real Alex. And then this puts Alex in the position of having to choose and having to protect her real self, despite the fact that her worst fears with regard to her loved ones is coming true, that they want to destroy her, the parts of her that are more human and flawed. Yes. And the funniest part of that was when the AI was starting to get desperate, (laughs) it latched on to Alex's relationship with Eliza, which was the thing that finally tipped Alex into being like, this is not right. (laughs) Yeah. They try to appeal to Alex's like, extroverted feeling like we're your family you belong with us not her (laughs) not yeah you're you (laughs) exactly well but and i said to you when i was re-watching it the phrasing is what does it because eliza's like get away from her she's dangerous and i'm like can you imagine her ever saying that to alex when she and cara were kids (laughs) she would never say that but also consider Eliza, who dropped into this fight between mind-controlled Alex in season one and Kara, and appealed to Alex by reminding her of all the things that are good about her Mm. and that she loves about her and that her dad is proud of her for those things. Yeah. This had like a complete opposite energy of that. (laughs) (laughs) But we did have someone in that role. (laughs) We did. The other teen Alex, she offered several arguments basically against this ideal self and how, as I've mentioned, that even if they were Supergirl and found Jeremiah, it wouldn't have changed anything, that his life was a result of his choices, not ours. Yeah. And it was kind of fun to have Alex go through that revelation in this episode, knowing it's coming on the heels of Kara learning something very similar about not carrying that burden of feeling responsible mm. for the actions of other people. That you can't control. Extroverted feelers. They they both are, yes. (laughs) And then another argument that teen Alex gives, Supergirl Alex, is we still have people who want to make the changes we can. Which is interesting with Alex and how she wants to help people, both in her family and then in a broader sense. But she has a less internal locus of control. She doesn't think that she should be able to control the fate of the world and the fate of everyone in her life. Mm. So this idea of making the changes that they can reflects what Alex, I think, without the burden of pressure from outside sources, actually believes. Yes. And related to that, and as we're talking about how Alex gets herself out of this virtual reality nightmare, Mm. Alex was on her own for the vast majority of this episode. And that's exactly what needed to happen Mm -hmm. for her because Alex defines herself by who's around her. And we don't often get a look at who Alex is without that. And she doesn't like (laughs) knowing what she looks like without that. But she was able to successfully identify what she values and, and who she is as a person once she was able to reference her past to to actually interact with a past version of herself Hmm. and reflect on her previous experiences and the things that she knows and the feelings that she's had and totally fits within the kind of personality trait approach of looking at why she's doing the things the way she is. Being someone who's a natural introvert who leads with absorbing their sensory data through their own experiences, that is her immediate inclination. 
And the other thing that was important about it, I think I joked about this in the previous episode, that when you have a hero's journey, like in a Disney movie, the parents are like never around because (laughs) then there's someone to solve the problems for you. And (laughs) this was literally about like that trope, like their dead parent, Alex, has to go have a hero's journey. (laughs) And Kelly even explicitly tells her that in the moment when she tries to get through to Alex in the VR, she says, you know, I can't do it for you. You have to wake yourself up, get yourself out, which is actually very similar to to what Alex says to Kara in the Black Mercy episode. Mm. So that was a fun role reversal as far as like Alex got to have her Black Mercy episode. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also liked the phrasing that Kelly used. You have to do it for yourself. It's sort of a double meaning in terms mm. of like, I can't do it for you, obviously. But then also the reason that you need to do it is for yeah, yourself, like, <laughs> not for other people, but for, for you. your own mental health. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, well, and that's the, the struggle that Alex has been having much more overtly since season three of recognizing that herself matters mm. and that the things that she wants and cares about are important in their own right and that she should be comfortable saying that and speaking up for herself in that way. So it was really cool the way they were able to depict that so you could see the whole experience and her thought process there. Yeah. And then to go back to Alex's really core conflict that pushed her into the VR in the first place and that is what she needs to deal with when she gets out related to her family. We see Alex and Kara not having a whole big drawn out conversation about the fact that they fought because they just don't need to. They've had multiple variations of this fight. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've seen several of them in the show already. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they've both already lived through attending Jeremiah's funeral. Mm-hmm. And we know from seeing the Midvale flashback that that wasn't a time when they were maybe terribly supportive of each other because both of them were still struggling to figure out who they were as individuals and how they related to each other. And so... Kara's line of, you know, it's okay, you're here now is like, yeah, she's literally physically here, but they're also emotionally there for each other in a way that they weren't the first time. Mm. So that was really nice. Yeah. Speaking of phrases that have two meanings, (laughs) (laughs) as much as it would have been nice to have a Danvers sisters type episode where they like learn more about each other type of thing. This needed to be an Alex episode for Alex for the reasons that we've talked about. And actually liked that it wasn't maybe like a traditional, well, it's actually hard being Supergirl episode. Like, and that wasn't the point of the lesson that Alex learned, even though they did have moments like Alex was like, oh, she makes it look easy. <laughs> the thing about her commenting about how Kara makes the heat vision look so easy is deeply amusing because number one, Alex used to yell at Kara <laughs> for not being able to control it. And number two, we saw only four episodes ago <laughs> that Kara still struggles to control it and it's not easy. Mm. And we also know from the last episode that the virtual reality isn't necessarily a reflection of how difficult things are in real life. Mm, Right. Yeah. Because Alex's uh, alien powered device was not working the way it works in reality. Mm -hmm. So presumably it's kind of just the VR's best guess or maybe Alex's best guess of how difficult it is. That's true. And the other thing in terms of like a subtle, like it's actually kind of hard being Supergirl thing was the fact that Kara was like a human sister who was kidnapped. (laughs) Yes. Which is not fun, (laughs) although it worked out, of course, really nicely because of the function of the virtual 
virtual reality and the plot. It worked out so well, Alex didn't even need to check on Kara. (laughs) And she didn't find that weird. (laughs) That was something. Contrast that with how much she freaked out when she couldn't remember that Kara was Supergirl in season four. Yeah. That was actually right in that scene where Jean asked her if she felt happy and she was like, something is not right. Ooh. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But this episode wasn't about the Danvers sisters. It was about Alex and the fact that, you know, (laughs) Melissa's busy prepping for (laughs) directing the next episode opened up the possibility of this being about how Alex, despite the difficulties her real self, her personality, and her life as she has shaped it as much as it is kind of up in the air right now, is actually worth protecting and worth choosing as opposed to choosing the Supergirl version of herself. Well, and also to go back to Alex and her struggles with feeling like she's in control of things, that she's choosing it Mm. actively, which is something where she hasn't always felt like she can. Yeah, tying back into her having actually an external locus of control. Yes. And then in terms of coming back to reality, the thing that grounds Alex in reality is feelings. (laughs) Unsurprising. But first we have her immediately panicked reaction when she sees Kelly and her suspicion that she's not sure that this is real. And it mirrored her very similar reaction back at the beginning of this season in the episode with the white Martian that impersonated Kelly. Hmm. And it took Kelly pointing out to her that they had emotional disagreements that had been left unresolved to be like, oh, yeah, this is this is real. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I would do. Uh, (laughs) It's not perfect. Therefore, it's real. (laughs) Yes. We also saw her express a hint of of a relationship insecurity that has been lingering for a long time Mm. when she tells Kelly, you know, thank you for not giving up on me, which is a direct contrast to feeling like her previous relationship was conditional in some ways. Mm. And we do get another little hint in the virtual reality that Alex's feelings of vulnerability related to romantic relationships are buried in there because at the point in the VR when she's still herself, the background music in the bar is the song that played the day that she broke up with Maggie. Hmm specifically for the first real time that she stood up for a thing that she wanted yeah and put herself first and she's still clearly two years later having doubts about that (laughs) Um. well i mean when things tie directly into your long-running issues (laughs) yeah they'll do that and it's also kind of funny because after alex breaks off her engagement Kara reminds her that she is hopeful and that she does still believe that she can have the things that are important to her and the things that she wants Mm. and we actually see kelly reaffirm that in this episode yeah and after alex's conversation with kelly and updating her on the nefarious nature of the inner workings of the virtual reality alex did go to jeremiah's funeral Yeah. And so we got, again, kind of in terms of Alex and processing emotion. First, she realizes that, yeah, she's ready to do that and that it is important to her the way Carr tried to tell her. Um, (laughs) That just makes me think of this scene in Midvale where Alex is mad at Carr and she's like, oh, we always have to do what Carr says. Carr is right, isn't she? Like, yeah, she knows you pretty well. Just uh, accept it. Um, But we see as Alex is walking in, Eliza is talking about Jeremiah and she's specifically talking about what was real about the relationship that she had with him and that her daughters had with him. And she specifies emotions and the way he made them feel. 
Hmm. And talking about kindness, compassion, which we know the whole Danvers family has, um, <laughs> love. And as Eliza's reiterating this, you have this nice little moment of Jean reaching for Alex and consoling her. And she lets him, hmm. which uh, she shrugged him off when he did the same thing to her in season one, actually in the Black Mercy episode. Yeah. Wow. Gross. <laughs> yeah, really. And then you also had Alex and Kara's moment of touching base with each other, acknowledging that Alex said a bunch of hurtful things and Kara being like, you know, whatever. I already forgave you. <laughs> yes. And something interesting with that last scene and the last thing we hear, actually, I liked your observation that the Supergirl theme we hear for Alex when she is putting on this like Supergirl persona in the virtual reality was fairly close to maybe like the season one version that we heard a lot in that there weren't a lot of darker undertones, that it's not mixed in with other stuff. It's more of a pure I'm Supergirl <laughs> expression. It was quite the contrast to the Supergirl theme we hear at the end of the episode in this scene with Alex and Kara. And it's a variation on the Supergirl theme that they sometimes use for like more contemplative moments. But it was fairly pointed, like this is a Supergirl moment, which I thought was interesting because we went from Alex experiencing this like sort of fake Supergirl life and then meeting her sister and having a less pure musical moment that's more muddied with sadder real feelings <laughs> well but also too it's playing the supergirl theme when they're both just being themselves yeah nice <laughs> and then we have some final thoughts about the episode that are not directly related to the theme of personality i have to say that line from bonnie aka tilly where she says the real world sucks hit a little <laughs> closer to home than it might have a couple weeks ago. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Like, people are genuinely yeah. seeking escapism in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Steam reported that it had, like, its highest video game weekend of ever recently because so many <laughs> yeah. places around the United States and the world are quarantined right now. Mm -hmm. And also the moment of Kelly arguing with Andrea and trying to get her to understand the urgency of this glitch and how it harms people and to take it seriously mm. had a little bit too much of a real world energy <laughs> to it as well. Yeah, I'd say so. Because Andrea's like, no, no, we can't make the people panic and stop doing the thing that makes us money. Hmm. It's fine. Uh <laughs> yeah. But then there's also sometimes Supergirl tries to be like wish fulfillment in a way because Kelly, I think, has kind of an emotional impact mm -hmm. on Andrea once Andrea hears that Kelly is genuinely upset that her girlfriend is trapped in virtual reality. And then we see her sort of take steps to genuinely look into the problem as opposed to saying that it's not a problem yeah. over and over again. Which will be interesting to revisit and contrast with Lena, potentially. Hmm. And then related to the touching base on reality, you got your wish cycles to see a little bit more economic diversity among characters in this episode. Yeah, we saw Bonnie slash Tilly talk to Alex about how she didn't have money to fly to go see her sister who had just been diagnosed with cancer. 
which it's nice to see a little bit of financial struggling in terms of like connecting to real people and grounding the show a bit in this virtual reality. Well, especially because that might be feeling a little relatable to people at the moment as well. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> also true. You can't go to your loved ones, can't fly. Well, and also a lot of people are losing their jobs. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, reality is a good time right now, guys. Although we might not be as lucky to have virtual reality as you might initially think. <laughs> No, because we did learn in this episode that uh, the glitch, well, if it is a real glitch and not there by design, which we're pretty sure Leviathan intended it this way, is that um, if you're not an emotionally healthy person when you are using these obsidian lenses, you will be stuck in the virtual reality, mm. possibly forever. Yeah, we're seeing the fruition of Gemma's obvious intent to target people who are vulnerable emotionally or imperfect. Yeah, which is disturbing and, again, still seems like a thing that immortal people with superpowers shouldn't care about. Yes, yeah, so we'll see what, what happens with that. And then the other thing that was kind of fun in this episode because we didn't really talk about any of the other characters very much no. was Kelly and William in their attempts to crack the plan of what Lex is doing had a really fun like season one super friends energy which actually comes up when Alex is in the VR. Bonnie asks if Kelly is one of her super friends. So that was kind of fun. Mm. <laughs> and it also reminded me a little bit of the emotional tone of human for a day when everybody had to cope with no Supergirl during an emergency. And so you had these two very human characters who are not in on all the secrets that our core group of superheroes know but who are still actively trying to help and solve problems, not because anyone asked them to, but because they want to. <laughs> hmm. It was actually interesting seeing like side characters as opposed to the trio mm -hmm. move forward plot while the trio is busy with like emotional arcs. There was also the fun stress of William having a very like season one James investigating Max Lord moment where he goes alone mm -hmm. to the like apparently abandoned building. Yes. At first I had made a distinction between that event when James went to investigate Max Lord on his own and William going to investigate because James was acting fairly recklessly and like trying to prove a point mm. emotionally to himself and to other people. But then William isn't quite that far along, but he does feel a little bit tunnel visioned on getting at Lex. So it'll be interesting to see if that progresses. It would. It really will be interesting to see him and Alex interact because she also has this thought about getting Lex. So, <laughs> Ooh, a William and Alex tag team. Well, but it was really funny because he was the one who asked Kelly, what would Alex do? Huh. Or like, what would she think about it? Interesting. <laughs> so that could be fun. All right. And then questions. We got a few. That we did. Anonymous asks, can you talk a little bit more about Alex's feelings about Jeremiah? I feel like the show never really dives into it. I'm not sure if it's just me projecting, but somehow Alex and Carr's argument at the beginning of 516 rings more true than what she says to Kelly by the end. Well, feeling like the show never really dives into it is fair, but it is to the show's advantage that Alex is the way she is because she's a character who doesn't really necessarily let you know what all is going on in there. Mm. And so I think they did a convincing enough job of making it seem like it's been gnawing away a little bit in the back of Alex's mind, but that mm. her like knowing that he's still out there was enough to keep that feeling at bay. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how now Kara is like less stressed in some ways about Krypton-related things because she knows her mom is alive. Mm -hmm. But 
I think both of the things Alex says to Kara and then later to Kelly are true. You can be deeply hurt by something that someone has done and then still value the positive things you got out of the relationship you had with them. Hopefully some of our discussion of those two scenes and Alex's headspace has cleared up the ways that statements from Alex that seem like they would conflict actually pair together. Like, I'm not going to protect my family anymore versus actually I feel like I failed to protect my family. Yeah. So our next question is from Young Blood Buzz. While hope is Kara's central value, what are your thoughts on Kara's hopes that people can change and encouraging others to make amends with those who have hurt them? Lena with Lillian, Monel with Rhea, Alex now with Jeremiah. Even as over time, she occasionally witnesses bad outcomes, including those that she loves being hurt in this process. She is the paragon of hope after all, and that's obviously not a bad thing, but could it also potentially be a flaw? Yes. <laughs> yes, it could. Well then, <laughs> discussion over. <laughs> no, well, within the situations with Lena and Lillian and Monel and Rhea, Kara didn't have a depth of understanding of those relationships and how often maybe they've tried to repair them and wanted to encourage them to give it another chance. And it was the wrong call. But Kara has a deep understanding of Alex and how she feels about Jeremy and how Alex would feel not at least taking the step of going to his funeral. And she was there when they were kids and knows to an extent, maybe like another perspective that Alex isn't seeing and is not a better place to be a voice of hope in that sense. But yeah, it depends on the situation as with any very strong trait in an individual's personality. Sometimes things that people can be stubborn about, points of view, can be great for a situation when they turn out to be right. And then sometimes it's less useful. <laughs> but hopefully Kara can learn from experiences such as those. <laughs> And we got two questions from I am Delta S on Tumblr. Which one of the super friends deal the best with social isolation for a coronavirus and which ones do not? And they said, I guess for this thought exercise, you could pretend it affects aliens too. And then the other question was, what would all the Supergirl characters' quarantine activities be? Uh, so Kara would be really bad at it. <laughs> she We've sure seen would. her be really bad at it several times. <laughs> she also could be a carrier, so even though if it yes. doesn't affect her, she shouldn't go out. That is very true. I think she would take that more seriously than mm. if it affected her personally. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Uh, <laughs> she'd be like, I can't harm all the humans I protect versus like <laughs> – yeah. times that we've seen her actively be told to stay put for her own safety and she's like whatever it's fine um <laughs> she'd probably go through like a whole emotional arc <laughs> to be honest well she also doesn't like being isolated in any way like no. she's like feeling trapped and gets claustrophobic and yeah her apartment is like open concept for this reason going back to alex feeling like she doesn't have control over things that would be a situation mm. where that would be pushed to the limit yeah. because she'd be like, Kara, no. <laughs> no. Constantly. Although for Alex, I think she might fare worse if Kara wasn't there to be something for her to like focus on and be like, oh. okay, if I can get my sister not to – like if she had to deal with the big concept of like oh. the world being in crisis and not being able to do anything about it but sit alone. she and also <laughs> sit alone with her own thoughts. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that she has someone to take care of and like distract her a bit in a way yeah. might actually help. That's true. I feel like Nia would cope the best. 
Maybe. Well, maybe. Also, Jean. Jean. Jean would just be like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, he's like meditate. I don't know. I just can picture him being fine. That's true. Jean might do uh, some like Martian meditation and just zen out for the entirety of Mm. whatever's happening. But then he wouldn't be there to keep an eye on Alex and Kara. Mm. Lena would be fine because she already isolates herself. <laughs> Andrea would have trouble because we saw her not take well the car trying to keep her from people. <laughs> that recently. Yes, a very good point. Although she does, when she is forced to recognize that her actions impact others, she does care. It's true. What about Brainy? I feel like that could go either way. Mm. I feel like he might actually get overly obsessive with some project. Like I can just see him like (laughs) sitting in a pile of like giant stuff or something. (laughs) Like I was trying to calculate. I don't know. Or like crunching the numbers to see like the exact hour that they can leave. (laughs) Yes. He get like carried away with something, I think, which I guess takes us to what they're quarantine activities would be <laughs> so brainies would be finding a special interest to do a deep dive into mm, yeah maybe he could go back to crafting remember he kind of jokingly oh. tried to distract nia last year with like the yarn store <laughs> oh or whatever Anything it was but poetry i mean <laughs> his poetry is amazing he and alex could write poetry together oh <laughs> no that's too cute <laughs> and it would be awful it would be so bad <laughs> cara would try not to laugh <sighs> i'm curious what Kara would be like as a poet as a poet like in terms of writing poetry i'm sure she'd be pretty decent she is a writer true she doesn't always like to be introspective that way yeah if she were writing about something else like something external maybe she'd be pretty good maybe but in terms of activities maybe Kara would do some more art perhaps yeah probably board games with whoever was around maybe like internet streaming yeah lots of movies group activity hmm. what would alex do <laughs> Whatever Kara does. <laughs> Probably. Practice like throwing knives or something. Oh, God, no. Uh, no, she wouldn't be so irresponsible as to damage her property that way. Come on. She only damages other people's property. You think she doesn't have a, a board that is specifically designed for her she to throw things She probably at? does. Okay. I, that, yes. <laughs> Maybe Jean meditates and visits his dad. Aw, that's very sweet. They can't catch germs from a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Our final question is from Nell411 on Tumblr. Which Broadway musical best captures the essence of the Super Friends? Oh, my gosh. So wait, is it one like for all of them or do they each get their own that they would be like the headline character in? Uh, Number two. (laughs) You want to force me to do that? That's so mean. Um, Which one captures the essence of all of them? I'm like, it's got to be an ensemble show. And I'm like, which ones? Into the Woods. Yeah, that would have been my first answer, actually. I was like, Into the Woods, maybe some Rent. Uh, (laughs) Cats. (laughs) Cats. I can't. Well, I will say, just in terms of one that captures the essence of this episode, um, (laughs) was leaning really hard into Next to Normal. Mm. Which I tend to like for Alex sometimes, but specifically the Superboy and the Invisible Girl was just on it. <laughs> like it was on <laughs> yeah, point for this week. It was a lot. Um, Kara, you don't know Children of Eden, but honestly, yes. <laughs> There's a whole character who sings about like talking to the animals so that they can inspire hope that the world isn't going to end. Like <laughs> it's very Kara. Fair. Uh, Fair. <laughs> oh, also, duh, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Wicked. Um. <laughs> oh, Lena is wicked. 
Lena, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of people who've got a lot of feelings in there, mm. uh, I was like, my first impulse for Alex was just Hamilton, but yeah. Uh, I mean, that has actually like Danvers sisters exchange energy. It does a little bit. <laughs> that and also just George Washington is so like Jean. Mm. Uh, All right, the, the trio. <laughs> yeah. And then hmm, other super friends. I, f- I don't know why. I was like, Nia, my first thought was like hairspray or something like that. That's like, has that big classic Broadway sound and mm. is like really fun. Yeah. Stylistically. It's full of cool aesthetics. Uh. <laughs> Actually, I have another one for Cora, Sound of Music. Oh, <gasps> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have confidence in sunshine. Do you really? Uh-huh. <laughs> Cycle says to herself daily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Carol King musical. No. <laughs> also fair. What would Brainy be? Oh. I haven't listened to all of it, but Dear Evan Hansen has sad Brainy vibes. Oh. Maybe. Send in your boots. <laughs> right? Trying to think of a good, like, a genre-specific one. Mm. Jekyll and Hyde. No. <laughs> Him and Henschel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jean is Mary Poppins. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, like, trying to picture that. Yes. Yes. He comes. He intervenes in the family mm-hmm. with the two children when they desperately mm-hmm. need it. He has cool powers. He teaches them things. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Kara would be Matilda. <laughs> oh, it's based on the book by Roald Dahl. It's about this little girl who school is too easy for her and then she essentially starts developing like magic powers and can like move things with her eyes <laughs> and control stuff and bored with school, develop magic powers. <laughs> but she uses her powers to help rescue her teacher from an abusive family member. Hmm. It's a very cute story. <laughs> Here are the eight different musicals for Kara. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for all of your questions. They were fun thought experiments. <laughs> if you have any more questions, you can send them to us at Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirl's Attic. Yes. And there is not going to be a new episode of Supergirl next week because of the issues related to the global health crisis. So stay tuned because depending on how long the hiatus is, we will have some extra stuff out there for you mm-hmm. to help keep you entertained so you, like Kara, do not feel the urge to run out and leave your home. <laughs> uh, yes. But yeah, for real, take care of yourselves. Take care of whoever may be stuck in your house with you. Mm-hmm. Don't go outside if you can help it. Yes. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>